Hi, and welcome to the How Not to Think podcast, uh, the podcast that gets you thinking about your thinking and challenging things such as binary thinking, stereotypes, myths, etc., etc. I'm Dr. Howard Rankin, and I am delighted to have on the show today Andrea Samadhi, um, who I already owe a debt of gratitude because she has a great podcast called Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning. I was on the show uh, a few days ago and she did a phenomenal job in editing the YouTube version. Uh, really great. We'll get into that as the show progresses, but Andrea comes to us from Arizona and enough about uh, enough from me. Let's introduce her. Thank you so much, Andrew, for being on the show. It's great to have you. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation last week, and I'm still thinking about it. Well, yeah, it was a good, 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 good conversation. It was great, and I'm looking forward to to resuming a conversation. Except this time, I'll shut up and let you talk. <laughs> okay, so give our uh, listeners some background into how you get to be where you are today? Sure. Well, it's a, I'll combine 20 years into like a couple of minutes here, but it started in the late nineties when I was a classroom teacher, you know, out of um, Toronto's faculty of ed teachers college went straight into teaching. Um, my sisters were both in education, my dad and my mom went into finance, but really she was a teacher at heart. So we're kind of a, a family of educators. And here I was at my first teaching job and my students were behavioral students. And uh, I was actually hired by my middle school history teacher in Toronto. So got my first job. I thought he was going to give me a great position, but he gave me a classroom of 30 behavioral kids. And I wasn't trained in teacher's college to deal with behavior, uh, let alone try and teach the content. So I think I burned out quickly. I was counting down the days till it was over. and. What happened was I had a neighbor who worked in the motivational speaking industry for a well-known speaker. And one day he gave me a book that really opened my eyes to the fact that uh, we have a lot of potential inside ourselves and I didn't think I was using my potential. So I quit teaching and went to work for this speaker. Um, it was actually at the time a big pay cut. I went from a teaching salary in Toronto, which is much higher than what we'd get here in Arizona. But um, anyway, it was the security of the benefits. My dad said, you're going to regret this day. It wasn't a, a pleasant meeting at our household when I said I was going to go work um, for $10 an hour for this speaker, um, really as an apprenticeship position where I learned all about life, all about thinking, all about goal setting. It was way worth the $10 an hour for me to make that decision. But you can't see that in hindsight. So went to work for this speaker. He was challenged at one point to work with 12 teenagers. And this is where it hit me, Howard. This is where I was like, okay, I made the right decision. I'm standing in a, in a it was a, a coliseum at the, the Louisiana Superdome. And these kids were on stage and they were showcasing the things they were learning with this speaker. He'd been working with them for a couple of weeks. 
and it literally blew me to tears. I was in the audience and everyone was taking notes and these kids were learning skills that we now know are called social and emotional skills, like goal setting, how to have a good attitude, how to think, how to plan. And they completely changed their lives around in a matter of weeks. And so that's where the path began. I, it hit me like a brick. I knew this is, I was in the right place. I'm supposed to figure out how to get these social and emotional skills in the schools. And uh, here we were, it was the late nineties. It, it wasn't, uh, these were soft skills that weren't uh, readily, pe people didn't really think they had value at that point. And I was trying to figure out a way to do it. And I never gave up on the idea. I went to work for Pearson Education as a sales rep, did really well in sales because of my time working for Proctor selling seminars. It, it, all these skills help in life, right? And went to work for Pearson, saw how they created curriculum for teachers. And then it was there where I figured I'm gonna write curriculum. I started to write my first book. Um, with educators and parents in mind to put these social emotional skills and and I always was trying to put these ideas into Pearson's programs. I met with the Pearson product development team so many times, nine, uh, 2007, eight, nine. Can we get these ideas in, in this program that goes straight into the classroom kit for kids? And they weren't ready for it yet. I felt like I was ahead of the game with all of mm -hmm. this. And so I just had to find my way, pave my own path. It's not been an easy path, but here we are. Uh, finally, I feel like I made my mark where I, I got uh, connected to Arizona Department of Ed. They chose my programs, got it into the schools, and that's really where the learning began for me. That's where it all started. Wow, that's, a, that's amazing that you actually now have those programs in a state school system uh yeah great story great story and as we discussed i think on the podcast we did recently is we very often we mistakenly identify when we think we got interested in something or you know this was the critical moment and then when we have the fortune to find you know other evidence we say oh, you know what that was I, I was kind of thinking like that years before that. I don't know whether that was your experience, but it sounded like there was something inherent in you that really wanted to grasp this notion of really effective education and training. It was true. There was some other experience that kind of hit me when you said that in our interview, because I know that it hit me in the stomach that I wanted to get these social emotional skills, but the neuroscience was there, the understanding the science. And I always wondered, where did that come from? And I remember in eighth grade, I was uh, training to be a swimming instructor and lifeguard, and we had to learn all about the heart and the parts of the valves. And I, I did this presentation to my class on the heart and how everything pumped through. And I remember everyone stood up and they were clapping and they're like, this was the best presentation we've ever had. And I knew at that moment that I have the ability to explain complex, complex scientific ideas to people. And I feel like that's where when the connection to neuroscience came in and an educator said, you've got to add the neuroscience in, I thought, well, I can do this because I remember I was good at explaining the heart and I could probably figure out how to ex explain the brain so that it's easy for people to understand. So, yeah, that connection came in as well. Yeah. And, and 
I'm sure that was important in not only devising effective programs, but also getting people to see the value of them, right? It just wasn't another program. It had a neuroscientific basis to it. As well as being intuitively, you know, makes sense. It does, but now that didn't come to me by, I didn't come up with that idea. Once my programs were chosen in Arizona to be on this preferred vendor list, it was an educator that pointed it out. He was like, mm-hmm. you have to go this way. And I don't think I would have seen it if someone else didn't tell me. And and then, you know, it was a little, well, a little blow to my ego that he didn't like the way it was, you know, and I got to go do more work and learn more things. But that's just the way life goes. You've got to pay attention to what uh, people want and need and then create that. And so then it became very obvious that was the right direction, but it, it wasn't an easy switch. No, I wouldn't expect you to get it all in one go, really, right? Especially over time where things change. Uh, neuroscience was pretty obscure till the first 10 years of this century, really. I mean, a massive, massive uh, amount of information and research started to come out and it became popularized. Um, it, not that it didn't exist before, but it certainly became much more available and aware uh, to professionals like us who that wasn't our main goal but it was definitely relevant to what we were doing definitely definitely like nobody ever said to me ever growing up and especially even when i worked in the seminar industry what are you doing for your brain health or how is your brain involved in your goals it was all like what are you doing what's your five-year, 10-year plan, show me your vision. But at no point did anyone ever talk about the brain. So when the brain came in, it was a huge shift for me to figure out, well, what what's going on in my brain? How am I thinking? I was thinking about thinking back in the late 90s for sure especially with making sure that you don't have negative thoughts or if something's bothering you that you solve problems immediately or they affect your results. I knew all that. But at no point did anyone ever say, you know, talk about what's going on in your brain and how is your brain impacting your future, your health and your life? Yeah, absolutely. So what what is you know, 20 years later, um, you have these programs, you have obviously learned a lot What's the difference in what you're suggesting, what you see as effective education and training compared to either what was 20 years ago or what unfortunately still is the sort of norm now? Yeah, I think I think if you were to look and ask a bunch of educators that were like me that knew we knew these skills made an impact. There just wasn't the research behind it. And then now there's organizations like castle.org that have done the research that can see the gains made by students that study these types of skills. And there's organizations that have formed around the country that are starting to implement these programs. And I watched the, the country go from not having any social and emotional programs in the states to now pretty much every state knows what social and emotional programs are. So it was quite a switch. It was probably 2016, 17, all the way till now. And then now what 
your program has to show efficacy. So you have to have research done. And that's kind of where my program stopped because it's just me here. And I didn't have an affiliation with a university to go and get a research study done. I tried on my own and it was exhausting. So yeah, that's where my program stopped. I'm not on Castle's approved program list for high school as much as I tried. So I've got a program that I know works. Schools have used it like it, but that's kind of where it stopped for me for for moving forward to making sure that our program is is uh, showing efficacy. So here in every state, there's social emotional plans, they're connected to CASEL, they're connected to the research, they're connected to measuring these skills. So there's dashboards that are made that can take like uh, you pick, you want your students to improve in self-regulated learning, you pick that and you can watch that data over a one year, two year, five year period and show the gains and show how that that skill correlated to your school culture. So that's the shift that I see. We knew these skills were important. Lots of programs came out, but who are the ones that are gonna survive? Probably the ones that are associated with the publishers that get the research behind them. And but but now here's the thing, there's programs that are in the schools that have the money and the research, but they're not engaging the students. So because because I come from this this uh, industry, I would ask my my kids, you know, hey, what program are you learning social emotional? And, and they know what what I mean by that. They know what I do um, in my office here. And so they talk about it with how they're forced to do these worksheets and they get candy if they hand the worksheet back. And I'm thinking they've still missed the boat. It, this is not how we implement these skills. It has to be in discussion periods where students are asking questions. When I would go in with my program, they would ask the questions, the difficult ones, like, like how do we forgive somebody that wronged us? You know, and, and they want to know this because they've got somebody in their life that they're at odds with and they don't have these social skills. They're not taught. And then I would show them the what would happen to them and their results if they don't forgive somebody that's wronged them. And, and they would sit there and think, well, how do I do that? That's how we implement these ideas. It has to be through discussion, through experience, not through a worksheet that they fill in and get a candy because they did it. They did not implement that skill. Right. And as we talked about on your podcast, you know, the big difference between facts and experience, and it has to be an experience. It's, and especially the social emotional material has to be that. It, it doesn't make sense for it to be a fact. Just to, It just doesn't. So what are the sorts of uh, areas that you focus on with these social emotional programs? Definitely. So, so CASEL came up with five competencies. So there's self-awareness, social awareness, self-regulation, uh, there's relationship skills. I have, if in my podcast, I have this little brain with uh, six of them. I always put growth mindset in there because I feel like mindset is a huge part of it all and Carol Dweck and her work. So, you know, that's why I chose six competencies, mm -hmm. SEL competencies, and those are the ones. So like, for instance, let's just look at self-awareness. 
we are not taught and and mark brackett who wrote his book permission to feel he proved it we are not taught about our emotions anywhere so you you have an emotion let's say you're doing a math problem you're frustrated we're not taught how to overcome the frustration to do that math problem to talk about it so that's just uh, self-awareness is one thing understanding our emotions how we can deal with it as a student in the classroom doing our work as a teacher trying to teach the class manage our emotions it's a huge one our self-awareness we have to have strategies and that's what i feel like i'm learning from this podcast from day one i'm learning strategies whether it's a wearable brain training device that's helping or if it's breathing techniques or if it's measuring my results to see you know how am i recovering on a day-to-day -day basis your results are clear as ice if you measure them and put them in numbers how you're thinking and operating shows up in your results so you got to be self-aware and and where is this being taught in arizona <laughs> nowhere else well um, uh, that's why in the very beginning i actually started my podcast with these six these six competencies and it was actually going to be a course for an educational publisher they were looking at it and i'd written an outline and they were going to use it and then all this stuff happened the the company fell apart and it amalgamated into two different companies and it didn't go anywhere but i launched it as a podcast and i put the information out for free and uh, the, I get calls from people in the policing who are creating these types of programs for kids that are they're trying to rehabilitate back into in, into society. People all over the world, it went into 143 countries. And I just had no idea what wasn't my intention. I was just thinking, well, I got to put this information up because it didn't work that way. I'm going to go this way now. But uh, absolutely, these these six competencies, I think we should all know of and implement. Um, people all over the country are doing things in different ways with this. I interview people, I pick and see who's working on relationships. And then I interview that person and try to tie it back to these six competencies that are I think important life skills that we should all know and then tie in how the brain ties into this. And then I feel like that's where we could all rise up and be better people. Yeah, and for listeners, uh, we're talking about self-awareness. If you don't know what introspection is, you need to take a good hard look at yourself. Um, that was a joke, Andrea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, not my my line, but but yeah, absolutely. And are these so? These are taught in a sort of formal structure. Is that how that works, or is it more informal as a situation arises, or both, or? or yeah, it's a little bit of both. So when when I was creating the Level Up book that turned into the online program, you see it behind me, and. I, I put a, an outline and I put the competencies in there. So self-awareness, just activities for students and teachers to become self-aware. And then, you know, everything I could think of on the podcast lesson on self-awareness. And so, you know, you can learn these skills from discussion, from activities, from discussing TV shows was another one that was was popular. So there was this 
it was kind of like a horror TV show. It was called Stranger Things and all the kids were watching it. And I took two students from, or two characters from this Stranger Things. And I said, who's more self-aware, Jonathan or Steven? Jonathan had this photography habit. He liked taking pictures and Stephen was just like, kind of like a crazy mess. And the students could pick out that um, Jonathan was self-aware and then we could explain why. Why was Jonathan self-aware? Well, when he got into a fight, he was able to calm himself down. He knew what was important to him. He carried this camera around. He was aware of his, his passions, of his purpose, of what he wanted to do. And Stephen, who knows? We had no idea. So that could kind of like ignite a conversation for, for young people on who are you? Who do you think you are? You're more than your name. You're definitely not your name. Who are you? And until Bob Proctor asked me that, Andrea, who are you? It, it, I didn't really know. I was like, I don't know. But when you start to figure that out, who are you? Well, I'm so passionate about education, about learning, about lifelong learning. You start to put all the bits together and it creates your path and it creates certainty. And you know you've never gone off your path if you know what it is, you know where you are, you know where you're going. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, I've seen uh, you know various articles and research about using some of that in real-time situations when kids uh, sort of quotation mark need to go to timeout. <laughs> You know, what What do you do? Do you send them to timeout without an instruction? Do you get them to meditate or think about what they've done? Do you, I mean, presumably that's a situation which would be very rich in terms of education. Is there any, is that integrated yeah. into this? Oh, yes. It's huge because so Lori Desital, I've interviewed her a few times. She was probably one of the first people I knew that was teaching the basics of neuroscience. She runs the um, undergraduate neuroscience program at Butler University, and she's training teachers on the basics of neuroscience in our schools. And so when I first was told to go this way, and I'm on Google and trying to figure out who's teaching this, she came up. And then I followed her through the years and she had this idea that's pretty powerful. It's called an amygdala first aid station. Mm -hmm. So, and I used it. I actually made this first aid kit when I was in the schools with my program in front of students. I had this first aid box behind me. Now, some of this stuff you could think, oh, this is woo woo and weird, but you gotta have ideas and strategies because something happens and it always did. Some kid would misbehave, of course, and here I'm used to it. I remember my, my behavioral students, they were all misbehaving. So mm -hmm. to have one or two misbehaving was not a big, a big deal for me, but uh, instead of kicking them out, which is what would ha have happened, the teacher would have been mad, you know, Miss Samadhi's here, she's, you know, helping you guys learn these ideas. And one of the schools that I was at, it was actually a volunteer basis. So when I would get funds come in from another school, I would flow it to uh, one of the, the schools that needed it the most. And so these kids really needed to understand these skills and all the books that I supplied were um, were donation from the fact that other schools paid. So here I am in a school that needs it. 
I don't want to kick these kids out. I don't want to say, you know, go get out, get out the back door. That would be the easy thing. Mm -hmm. The hard thing is to say, okay, here, I've got this amygdala first aid station. Why don't you go over there and see if you can calm yourself down? And I put different things there, you know, different age groups. If they're mm -hmm. younger, they could do like some sort of um, smelling like lavender or something to calm them down or a pillow could be soothing, something like that. But now here I am with these high school kids. I'm like, so I put this lotion and here there's these big guys that are like rough and they're like smelling the lotion and they didn't get kicked out and they returned to their seat. So I would say that was a way a, a modern way of calming the brain. Mm -hmm. We didn't have to have any yelling because we know when my cortisol rises, so does their cortisol. And then it just becomes like this endless cycle. And that's, mm -hmm. that's how every day of my teaching went. It was me mm -hmm. going, sit down, stop doing that. And then I'm yelling and then their cortisol is up and then they're going to keep misbehaving. And it's just a nightmare that this day never ends like that. So this is just a way to save. There's lots of strategies like that where mm -hmm. we put the brain in mind into the classroom. And Lori Desatel is doing such an incredible job with with her programs like that. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and you've of course written your your book um, about all of this, right? Um, you have another one coming out. Tell us I, about your book. I do. I need to now integrate everything I've learned from the podcast because Level Up I wrote when I first understood the basics of neuroscience. When that teacher said, I can't have I can't have the program in the schools as it is. You need to write a second book and it has to be brain-based. So I took everything out that was associated with the mind, which was my mm -hmm. focus in the past, mm -hmm. and I put the brain and it wasn't too difficult because they're not too far okay. apart. And so I have the three parts of the brain and level up. Well, now things are different. Now we know of brain network theory. Now we know that there's lots of networks. It's not just three parts of the brain. It's all parts of the brain firing at different times, learning how to switch between different networks. So my next book has to uh, it cover everything that I've learned from the podcast. There has to be a book three that catches everyone up. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that's great. I look forward to that. Um, you talked about the six characteristics that you focus on. Um, let's go through them again. Yeah, specifically. yeah, definitely. So I always have them. So so growth mindset. So mm -hmm. oh, and everyone knows this from Carol Dweck and her work with, you know, uh, it's, I haven't got it yet. You know, the, the you you're working on a math problem. I envision in the future of our schools, a little breakout box next to a math problem that says, keep going. You haven't got it yet. Keep trying something like that to show growth mindset in the classroom mm -hmm. and growth mindset spills over into everything. It spills into athletics, mm -hmm. you know, um, how, how you think and feel about yourself. Do you think that you, um, have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. And this was a big one for me because as I started to do some work on growth mindset, I started to learn that we might think we have a growth mindset. Like, of course, you and I, we do these podcasts. We, mm -hmm. If everyone said, hey, Howard, do you have mm -hmm. a growth mindset? Uh, you know, do you think we you can learn new things? But 
catch yourself when something happens and you're not good at something like that's when we go to fixed mindset so we can go back and forth from fixed to growth and we just have to be aware of this here's the self-awareness again because uh, let's just say i wasn't a strong math student and my kid comes home with a math problem and they're struggling and i say well let's wait till dad comes home because he's brilliant with numbers and i'm not that's fixed mindset. And now I'm putting that onto them. They're going to be like, well, mom's not good at math. Maybe I'm not. And then so growth mindset is something we have to use awareness with and always be aware of how we're thinking and feeling and the fact that we have neuroplastic brains and there is nothing that we can't do or learn, I fully believe. Mm -hmm. So that's the first one. We talked a little bit about self-awareness. That's a huge one. Self-regulation is another one because uh, this was not a skill taught to us. You know, when your buttons are pushed, Dr. Dan Siegel talks about it all the time. What happens in the brain uh, when you react? You react to a situation, something maybe boils your blood and you're like, oh, I want to yell. It could could depend on whether you're in the classroom teaching. If you're a parent at home and something's bothering you, for me, it's when the kids don't pick up their towels, whatever it is. We all need to learn how to manage our emotions. And there's lots of different strategies that are out there, like meditation, mindfulness. But I feel like those strategies take years and years to get the benefits of, or at least for me. That's just how I feel like. I started to notice I'm more calmer, less reactive. But then there's other tools that come out, like um, like the Fisher-Wallace brain training device can calm you down. Other tools that are out there in the world. I'm interviewing someone next who's worked with IBM executives um, top executives, uh, helping them to get into out of the beta thinking into the alpha with different brain training and neurofeedback. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I know, do you, do you have yeah. experience with that? Because I Absolutely. don't, I, I don't yes. know how else do you. Absolutely. I do have, a, I do have, infl- I do have experience with the neurotechnology part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is uh something called audio visual entrainment and my good friend David Seaver up in Canada from where you are originally from um, is, is kind of a leader in that field. And he's devised some amazing technology that's, you know, you can buy it's portable um, that actually delivers sound light stimulation to different areas of the brain. Actually it's evolved over the years to get your brain in a particular state. And that could be down into more of an alpha state, more creative state, even into a sleep state or into a more alert state if you need to stay focused. And it's amazing stuff. So the neurotechnology part of that, I think we've got, it's developing enormously and we've got some of those tools now to do that. I'm so interested in that. And this guy, he's local in Sedona, and a lot of people go to his offices to get this intense seven-day training. But right. I think it's powerful when you can have something in your home. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. And there is now sort of online neurofeedback training as well. Um, so there are options for people. There are no question about that. And I like it too, um, because I think it really shows the brain how the brain can be 
somewhat manipulated in terms of general activity in different areas of the brain and how that can be very helpful uh, temporarily. Um, and I've, I've had clients use it with anxiety, depression, ADM, I mean, you name it. Uh, and, and the vast majority of them have found it beneficial. No question. Wow. Yeah. Very, very yeah. interesting. I'll be happy to send you more info on that. Because, oh, please do. I'd love to Because I do it. think it's, it would be a very cool device for a school to have a part of your amygdala first aid station, actually. Wow. You know? Yeah. Um, so for sure. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. absolutely. So Definitely. we've got um, growth mindset. We've got self-awareness, self-regulation which I happen to believe is really critical. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with work going back, you know, 50 years to Walt Michelle at Stanford and his famous marshmallow or cookie study. Oh, right? yeah, I did that one with my kids. Just yeah, to yeah, yeah. That. And, you know, the evidence was the kids who were able to defer immediate gratification and wait a few minutes and get two rather than one, you know, were followed up over time and they were healthier, more successful, what have you. And I do think that self-control, even though there's a lot of sort of, uh, how do we put this, um, commercial applications out there and people who push them say it's got nothing to do with self-control. The reason I think they say that is they don't know how to change it. Mm -hmm. Clearly, self-control is a huge part of life and um you know just following on a little bit from the conversation you and i had the other day about consciousness um there is this theory that really the the great advantage of consciousness is it has not necessarily a thought generating notion but it has a veto that if something pops into your mind your consciousness has the ability to look at that and say, no, well, I'm not going to do that. Mm. Uh, perhaps even more than generating ideas, because we know that a lot of those things actually start subconsciously. Um, and, and so that veto notion, I like that. It fits very well with concept of self-control. Mm. Now, it can work both ways. You know, mm. your body says, well, it's time to go to the gym. And you say, ah, nah, I'm going to veto that, you know, because, and then bring up all your excuses. Um, so, it, but, but I think that veto is, is important and that's where self-control comes in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And mm -hmm. thinking about even the fact you've got to learn to give up something to get something. And for school, it was always like, you've got to learn how to stay home and study to do well and not hang out with your friends, give up something of a lower nature to get something of a higher nature. That's how I've always thought about it. Yeah, no, I think that's true. Uh, actually, my son is a good example of that. He, he when he was in uh, high school, he went into the junior ROTC program. Mm -hmm. And initially in the early part of high school, uh, certainly the freshman, sophomore year, the other kids were, eh, you know, you're not part of the in crowd. You're, you know, you you want to do this army military 
thing. And and he we had we had a conversation. I remember. I think it was sophomore year. Is yeah, I, I'm missing out on social opportunities because I'm doing this. But this is what I want to do, and I'm, that's okay with me. You know. Uh, which was really interesting. And what was great was the evolution that by when he was a senior and he was now actually the cadet commander, he had been organizing something for um, Memorial Day or something like that. And he walked back into the classroom and everyone gave him a standing ovation. Um, so, but, but, it, but it's a great example. He recognized this is what I want to do. And there are costs of doing that but I still want to do it. You know? mm -hmm. That was self-awareness, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what are the other ones then? So then now here's an interesting one. See how we've done self-awareness, self-regulated learning. So I started to do some work with David Adams. He's from the Urban Assembly. Um, he's the CEO now, but at the time he was in charge of social emotional learning there and talks a lot about looking at things through an ethical cultural lens. And he brought my eyes open to the fact that there's the social aspect to it. So social awareness, being aware of other people. And, you know, I thought it was really interesting. He said, most people are focused on self-awareness. And I had all this stuff on my mm -hmm. podcast about self-awareness. And he was right. I had one podcast on social awareness, um, being empathetic towards others, seeing things from a different perspective, just the things we were talking about um, when we were talking, it, it's all trying to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. It's not easy to do. Be empathetic to other people when somebody else's, you know, you're having a conversation, try to see something from another perspective. So that's social awareness. And again, it's not taught anywhere. And I noticed how little social awareness was, um, the emphasis on it. If you were to look at anyone's programs that focus on these competencies, it's all focused on self, self-awareness. Um, yeah, that's right. Self-regulated learning. Let's right. do this for us. What about what are we doing for other people? And Yeah, and that's, that's absolutely huge. Um, in a Western society, and particularly the American society, where there is the emphasis is on the self and the ego, where other societies, Asian societies, more traditionally are about collective. Uh, you know, how do we how do we relate to each other? And that's so important. We see the divisiveness in this country now. So if there's ever a need for it, it's now to understand that. And yeah, walking in other people's shoes is tough. But, but you've also got to learn to walk in your shoes first before you can walk in somebody else's because you don't know what that's involved in there. Right? Mm -hmm. And so that self-awareness is part of it, but it's not the same as social awareness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Then there's relationship skills. Mm. So, you know, a big one. So I interviewed Greg Wolcott and he's got this book all about building relationships in our schools um, you know, more than just the handshakes, if you have, and, and I think you talked about it on, on when we were talking, that student that you said, what was the subject 
that they remembered or that they liked the most, it was the one with the teacher they liked. So that was the relationship that came in. They had some sort of bond with their teacher. And I remember my sixth grade teacher gave me this nickname and made me feel really good about myself. And that was the the teacher that I just thought about my whole life. You know, nobody mm -hmm. ever matched that. So it's more than just the, the relationships you're building with your students, if you're in the classroom or with other people, whether in your in the corporate space, how are you connecting with other people how are you thinking about their goals, their needs, again, versus what I need? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And question for you, as you're talking about that, um, and obviously been thinking about that before is obviously, this has relevance, not just to school, but to any, pretty much any training, mm -hmm. education, right? Right. And that's why I try to give tips for schools and the workplace, because these skills spill into the workplace. The kids finish school. Now, what are they going to do? Now they have to learn how to go out into the world and and have these have success in the workplace, know how to be in a, in a corporate environment. And when the culture goes bad, what happens? Because that surely happened at Pearson. I remember when Pearson amalgamated with another company, we lost the name, the morale was low. And then they were like, Andrea, what can you present to us that can bring the morale up? And I was thinking, yeah, nothing that, that I'm gonna say is gonna be of interest because all my stuff was all like energy stuff or positive thinking. And at some point, everybody is just down. It, it all comes from an individual basis. How are we going to all bring ourselves up? And uh, yeah, it, it's hard when a company is struggling culturally. Sometimes it's like they, I, I don't really know the answer to that. It's like, how, to, how do you bring up a whole team of, of people? I, I see it right now, especially with the fact a lot of companies have merged with uh, the COVID situation. Mm -hmm everything's different they might have a new boss so now these skills are so important how do you learn to deal with a boss now that shows up late on every meeting where your boss from before was you, you got along really well these relationship skills tie in whether you're in the school or the workplace it's huge yeah no question and of course uh, a lot of the data suggesting i think i'm right about this that uh particularly uh, amongst uh, millennials, the reasons they give for leaving jobs is typically some sort of conflict with management broadly defined, you know, that they don't feel they get the credit, they're not appreciated, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and, and that's right, you're absolutely right. And that's, it, it would be easy to overlook the social element how do you relate to other people? Because yeah. right. we're always usually thinking of ourselves, like that's what are right. we going after? What's right. our goal? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Um, well, we could go on forever. Uh, and we probably will, but probably not on this recording. Okay. Um, so where can people who are interested in what you are doing, uh, what resources do you have them and where can they reach you? 
Oh, definitely. They can go to achieveit360.com. That's my website. You can see the podcast. There's a link for the podcast there. You can see the programs. I'm always looking to develop something new. There's a new shift coming up and lots to think about for September, um, the new book, new workshops, and, and perhaps some new partnerships. Yeah, you know, that's great. And I, again, want to reiterate to the listeners, um, what a fantastic job you, I'm sure do, but my personal experience of being on your show, not only was it a great exchange of ideas and communication, you did a phenomenal job in producing it so that when it was on YouTube, and you know, 50 plus minutes of content, uh, how well you personally did and i thought you'd actually got some sort of professional director to do it but how well you professional did by putting up on the screen you know the relevant drift in the conversation cap capturing it this is what we're talking about uh putting up you know pictures of books that were mentioned quotes from people i mean it wasn't it was really good so uh i really encourage all the listeners to to go to andrea's page and and listen watch uh the podcast that she's done because she does a phenomenal job i've never seen anything like it phenomenal job in visualizing presenting to the viewer really important visual information that is backing up the conversations going on so you really did a great job Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah. And you've had a lot of great people on your show. I have to say Uh, a lot of people in the neuroscience and education space, very well-known people. So I was honored to be on that. And you clearly have had a lot of interesting interactions (laughs) with, with people. And um, it's, it's great to hear somebody who not only has been able to organize that, but has benefited from those conversations definitely if i wasn't using it myself i don't know if i'd be doing it no 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 yeah and so achieve it 360.com right um and i presume you've got a lot of social media um, yeah i'm on linkedin twitter just put my name in there if you want to find the podcast just go to itunes put my name in it's pretty easy everything pops up through social media with tags and things yeah excellent so this is andrea samadi s-a-m-a-d-i uh again andrea thank you so much for first of all having me on your show and then being such a great guest here Uh, it's been awesome i'm sure we're gonna talk some more Mm -hmm. but for now i will um thank you again and wish you well until the next time that we get together thank you so much thank you so much this was fun